friends, welcome to the Purple Couch Clubhouse by the Ohio University Women's Center. My name is Rihanna Hunt, and this month I find myself once again on my living room floor to discuss a reading that we could all learn something from. I understand that life is really busy, and you're probably thinking there's no way you'll be able to read a whole book. No worries. This month, we aren't actually reading a whole book. And just like an in-person book club, I'm prepared to be the only one who's done the reading. The conversation will be guided by concepts from the book, and I will include the important context. This month, we will be reading an essay from Colonize This, Young Women of Color on Today's Feminism. This book is a collection of 28 essays curated and edited by Daisy Hernandez and Bushra Raymond. We will be focusing on Because You're a Girl by Ejaoma Egg. We would not be able to give this book the justice it deserves if we tried to discuss the whole of it in this one episode. It would simply be unfair to attempt to minimize the diversity of experiences represented in this book to a 30-minute podcast episode. So we will focus on this one. And while I know I literally just said there was no reading, we are going to encourage you to read the rest of this book on your own. Because your girl author, Ijeoma, grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, where the women of the family are expected to take care of all household chores. She describes how her everyday life works around cleaning up after her brothers because she's a girl. She goes on to tell how she worked in homework alongside her chores to achieve academic greatness. After excelling in high school, Ijeoma went to college in America. Here, she began to learn about the different cultures and experiences that exist around the world. Her lifestyle began to change and her previous resistance to the traditional Nigerian lifestyle became more pronounced and regular. Now, she lives and works in the U.S. and is defining for herself what it means to be a girl. I am joined today by the lovely Mary Catherine Tran. Mary Catherine is the Assistant Director of the Ohio University Women's Center, but more importantly, mother to Effie, her cat that simultaneously commands nonstop attention while also making it clear that she doesn't necessarily want your attention. She loves that her job connects her with students, faculty, staff, and community members, in a wide range of capacities. And though Effie is always vying to be the real star of the show and her heart, Mary Catherine's cohorts like the Young Women Leaders Program and the Alana Plus Women's Leadership Cohort are stars as well. She's joining us today with Effie in her lap and students from one of her cohorts. How are you today, Mary Catherine? I am feeling amazing and super excited for this. The first of her students is the wonderful Brie Joseph. Brie is a first year at OU planning to study communication sciences and disorders. She's stoked to be here today to discuss some topics that she feels are very insightful and important to talk about. As a woman of color in the Alana Plus Women's Leadership Cohort, she heavily vibes with women's empowerment. In her free time, she enjoys listening, dancing, and even creating music. How are you today, Brie? I'm doing great. Can't wait to talk about this. Next, we have the amazing Kaya McKinney. Kaya is a third-year undergraduate student double majoring in environmental studies and Spanish with a focus in urban crises and gentrification and green infrastructure systems. She is passionate about the environment and minority issues and serves as a peer mentor at OU for minority female students in STEM. She's currently completing an independent research study on processes of race and gentrification at the neighborhood level in Cincinnati, Ohio. How are you today, Kaya? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me to discuss this with everyone. Of course. And last, but certainly not least, is Katie Hall. Katie is a first-year marketing major who's also minoring in history. With her interests in the fine arts and music as well, she's always looking for new opportunities to be creative at Ohio University. 
She's involved with the Alana Plus Women's Leadership Cohort, the American Marketing Association, Select Leaders, and the Cutler Scholars Program. She's excited to be here to talk about her experience as a woman of color and passionate student. How are you today, Katie? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, I'm so excited to talk with you all. Um, so to kick off our discussion, um, first, Ijoma details for us what it means to be a girl in several ways. There's a general expectation of heterosexual marriage, particular duties for a daughter, which includes her responsibility for chores and the kitchen. She finds freedom in school where she excels and gets to supervise others doing chores, including the boys. It's clear that being a girl means something different in the different roles she has in life. So what does being a girl mean to you? And how does that change when you think about your own different roles as a daughter, student, coworker, etc.? I think being a girl means that you have to adapt to a lot of different situations based on not only social cues, but the um, expectations of your family as well, which we see in this essay where Ijoma has to kind of change her personality depending on what um, location she is in. And so at home, she might have less of an opportunity to be a more dominant figure, but then outside of that domestic area, she's able to express herself um, differently. So I think that that's a big aspect that girls have to take on throughout their lives of figuring out what type of person they're going to be based on the people that are around them. Yeah, I guess kind of going off of what Kaya said, I think there's lots of an expectation for men to kind of adapt and to try and fit in. I feel like it's always like the woman trying to fit into different settings. And especially as, I guess, um, a woman in the College of Business, I feel like I've experienced this a lot with different work settings, trying to make sure that my voice is heard as a woman, but also leaving room for other women to, to talk and everything too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, being a girl, it's just like, it's like trying your best to be the whole girl boss thing. You always want to be like, yeah, I'll be a STEM major because not many um, women go into that field. But then like you get to the class and it's like male predominant as usual. And so you always just want to try and strive to be the best. And sometimes it can be hard on yourself because like, I just want to do my best, you know? Absolutely. I think it's so pointing to think about the ways in which we expect girls and women to do it all and to have it all. And I know we talk about those superwoman syndrome about how the ideal girl should be really good at sports, but also a very good daughter and be able to keep the house clean and cook and clean, but also be really smart. And I think as Kai was saying, this results in people having to have different personalities or different parts of their being at the forefront of different spaces, right? Like we think about how should a girl act in school versus how should a girl act at home? Um, and I think that that really can tie into how some women of color in particular experience code switching at work and at home with these expectations. I also wanna go back to like what Mary Catherine said um, at home, cause I have two sisters. So very much like all of us are trying to become the girl boss we wanna be. It's like <laughs> a competition. I love that for you us. And so it's like, um, like an AP exam, like, oh, I got a four. That's great. Your little sister got a five. So like, it's like always trying to one up each other. 
Mm. Even at home, it can be hard too. Yes, Brie, I have an older sister and, and our whole childhood was just competition. So I definitely feel that one. Um, but on the same line of what we were just talking about, how do you think expectations for men and boys differ from those for women and girls? Are there moments where this double standard that we've been talking about has become really real for you? For example, I think about when Ijoma complains about her chores and her family responded with, quote, if you don't do them, who will, unquote. I feel like folks will have things to say, especially with um, the various careers and fields they've picked in terms of representation in those fields. I'm super excited to hear y'all's perspective. For me, like, um, especially like family functions, if you go to like my aunt's house for like Easter or something like that, it's very much like my mom and all the aunts, they make the food and we all eat it. And then my dads and uncles go downstairs to watch a movie or sports while they clean and do all the dishes and pack package the food away. And like, even, even though like they said like, who's going to do them? No one really says that. It's more just like, oh, I don't have to do it because they're going to do it. And so I just feel like there should be a question, like, why is it only them doing it? Yeah, I, I think, too, one thing I've noticed a lot in domestic areas is that men are praised for doing things that women are typically um, expected to do. So we praise men for being good fathers if they take care of children, change diapers, but then that women have inherently. So you have this concept where women are expected to form themselves into a patriarchal society, but then when men do more domestic things, that's praised. And then, um, so in, in an academic field, I, like Brie was talking about with STEM, I've noticed that a lot of men um, are praised for doing a lot of the bare minimum of either coursework or just in discussions. And so I, I've had a idea that as a black woman in this field where I'm typically the only black person in any of my classes that I have to perform at 200% in order for mm -hmm. my professors to see me, hear me, and to just validate me in this class, which is something I had to deal with specifically this semester um, and since I've been a student at OU. And so that's something that I think is a double standard in a lot of aspects of life where women have to work even more hard, for, like Katie was saying, to just be heard, to even be there for someone to think that you're worthy. Yeah, definitely drawing back to what I said and what Kai just said. Like, as a College of Business student, I am in many settings the only person of color and sometimes one of the few women in a group or in a classroom or in an organization. And to be a person of color and a woman, you definitely have to try your, like Kai said, 200%, give your 200%, give your all, no matter what you do. And I think going off of like, um, I guess the stereotypes and, you know, in group dynamics and everything in the college of business, I think um, in many, in many ways, men are always kind of the group leaders and 
women are like, oh, you can work on the presentation. You can work on the graphics for this. You can do that. But I'll start speaking. You guys follow, you know. Um, I talked with um, Erica Austin, who's a really awesome senior marketing manager uh, for the Colts right now, um, just during an, a career interview. And she talked about how um, in her in her field, there's a lot of men who are like, oh, I don't want you, I don't, I don't want you to do anything but shut up and listen um, to a lot of women. And it's something that she has to deal with. Um, thankfully, it's changing, but, you know, it's something she does have to deal with uh, from time to time because uh, the business world, I guess, is just pretty stagnant and, and changes and stuff. So, yeah. And I liked what um, Katie said a little bit earlier about how it's almost a responsibility a lot of us feel to make sure that we're always amplifying women around us or other women of color. And also, I think there's also a fear of stereotype threat in some spaces, right? Like if folks don't perform at their best, if they mess up, they might make it harder for other women or women of color or people to be taken seriously um, or also be in that position in the future. Yeah, going on like that, I guess too, um, I feel like for me personally, I don't care if I'm like the first Asian American woman in a group or the first person of color to do this or that, but I definitely don't want to be the last. You know, mm -hmm. I want to make that impact and make that change. Um, but oftentimes it's down to the environment and how much room I have to talk and to um, really show my expertise in my field, no matter what you know, my color, my skin color is, or my gender. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I so loved what you said about how you don't want to be the last. I think that is very similar to how um, Ijoma felt after coming to America and having this realization that like this is another culture. Um, so Ijoma's academic success led her to attend college in the United States and an experience which she found super eye-opening. So after learning about American culture and gender roles, she returned to Nigeria on a visit and accidentally told one of her male cousins, quote, do it your damn self, unquote, when he asked her to do some chore. Her family insists that the United States has changed her, but Ijoma disagrees. She believes the United States introduced her to herself and empowered her to find her own voice. Um, so have any of you ever experienced this feeling where you feel you're developing your true self, but others feel that you have changed? And how did you navigate that experience? I think this is a really interesting question because it really asks us to think about um the ability that we have to or we want or we are taught to or want to uphold our family's ideas and goals for us that they see us as when we're children and then the transitions we make in our life whether that's changing from a major that our parents were like really excited about whether that's just learning more and becoming more educated about the world around us i think it I think the experience Ijoma talks about is something that a lot of people experience at different parts, different parts of their life. Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's I haven't drastically changed, um, and I'm very close with my my family, especially my mom and my two sisters. And so I think one thing I have noticed as I've gotten older is that I'm a little bit more open to different lifestyles and things that my 
mom doesn't necessarily relate to, but she supports. And so I think that that's um, interesting with this question of how do you change from when you're younger to when you're older and how women have to deal with, um, even when they are supported, the people in their family can't necessarily personally relate to what that person wants to do. And I think a lot of that has centered around how I deal with racism because my mom is very active in um, demantling racism in the Episcopal Church. And so I, as a young person, want the luxury of not having to approach people about it. I don't want to discuss it with old people. I don't want to deal with solving it and having to go through that trauma because I see what she has to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I think is generational where um, young people kind of want to just solve things and have it be over. But maybe older people are more willing to work towards figuring those things out where they are a part of that. Yeah, I agree with the whole, um, I guess, maturing of it going from younger to older. Like, I'm much more calmer and <laughs> probably more quieter. I don't talk as much when I was little because I was ball of energy, ran around, and I was like the tomboy of the family. But, like, I guess anytime I like show, like, you know, I've matured, I'm different now, people are always like, oh, like you're boring now or whatever. Like, my sisters always do that. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just different now, right, right. or even just the opposite way. If I do get super excited for something, they're like, oh, you like, I don't know, like they demean me for some reason. It's like, oh, just like, like you were a little girl or something like that. I don't know how to word it, but it's just change is good. It's not always bad. So, and it's like the self, the personal self is ever changing. Like you don't want to be the same person you were when you were eight. Just like how I don't want to be the way I am now, probably with more confidence when I'm 25 or something like that. So, Yeah, definitely. And especially with us, again, being women of color, I think it's really important that we find comfort in being ourselves. And maturity comes along with that. And being able to, I guess, um, be okay with being yourself and not being afraid of whatever is limiting that or what was what might be limiting to um to that um yeah <laughs> i'm not sure where i was going with that no i think i i think it's so important i think also when i consider culture and how culture looks like for me versus for my dad or for my family and how there's so many elements that are the same but so many that have changed just with the times right and um, there's a lot of work to be done in our various communities, but I think thinking about what values you still hold and how that might change and how that might affect parents, guardians, families, and et cetera, as, as they notice that you're changing or becoming more progressive or having your own ideas of how the world looks, it can be pretty jarring for them, but I think it's really exciting at the same time. And this is a quick note that I thought of as well that is very interesting is how immigrant children have to deal with the expectations of their parents when the, their parents left their home country at that time mm -hmm. but then they don't apply the progressive societal principles of that country in the current day so if someone were to have emigrated from a country in 1980 their parents are going to hold on to those 
expectations from 1980 and rear their children from a societal expectation of the past. Mm. So that's something that might be applicable in the situation of this essay that um, she left at that point and then her family expected her to act like she did when she left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally feel that because my mom, she was born and raised in Haiti. Um, and so she moved here, I think, like, while she was starting college. And her grandmother, now she's here in America as well, she always, like, is on her for being, like, a city girl now, even though we're in Ohio. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just, like, scolding her, like, oh, why don't you send money more? Because, like, respecting your elders or, like, just doing everything for the elders is really important in Haitian culture. And, or just like how I don't really know Haitian Creole all that much. Like I understand it, but I can't speak it. And so that's looked down upon on her part because she didn't try harder to help us understand the language. But like English is really important, like in America and just worldwide. So it's better that I know this language instead of this one. And now I'm too old to like pick it up as easily. But yeah, I just wish she didn't get so much like rap for that. No, and I think I think Brie brings up a good point talking about the shifting of values and what's considered important and that folks who like our parents who went refugees or immigrants, the goals they had when they might have come here might have been really big and it can be hard when maybe those goals aren't visual like aren't um aren't able to happen or they might look different for what your child chooses to do with their life and what they're doing so i can definitely see and and also i just i personally can still relate to like not knowing the um the language of your culture and getting a little bit of flack for that but but it's not your fault (laughs) yeah it's definitely like this battle of cultures and you want to be you want to hold I guess your ancestral culture close to you, but you also want to, I guess, not fit in, but you want to be able to, I guess, adapt to this environment of being in America and being, you know, an Asian American and how that's so much different from just being an Asian, being Asian or being just American. And it's this new identity that I think, I think hopefully we're going to see more support for um, as just like, a mix of identities and that being that, you know, you don't have to be one or the other, you can be both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this culture conflict is definitely something that Ijoma mentions um, at the end of her essay. She tells us that now she lives and works in the United States. She's graduated college, but she still misses home. And this makes her feel very conflicted as there are parts of both places and cultures that she loves and that she still practices. And so she's just not really sure where she really belongs. Um, And Ijoma talks specifically about how she doesn't think she fits into modern American feminism, but is inspired by what it means for other feminist movements. And feminism has not always been seen as inclusive. And when we think about how feminism centers or marginalizes women who are racially and ethnically minoritized, what must feminism do to be more inclusive and transnational? It's a big question, Rihanna. Yeah, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, one of the reasons why feminism is very difficult to breach in a lot of minority communities and cultures is because of the lack of acknowledgement by white women that they have privileges that other 
populations don't. And I think that that's one of the reasons why in America the feminism movement or the feminist movement um, has not included a lot of people because there is this idea that women face these situations and these issues at the hands of a patriarchal society and so therefore we all experience them the same but it's only been recently that white populations have accepted that they have privileges that some people don't and that the concept of intersectionality is really prominent in this society as well just with what we've been talking about of how we are the one if not very few people in our fields and we're not in very non-traditional fields so i think that's important and it's just a lack of awareness that people don't want to accept that they are in some aspects a part of the problem that they're trying to dismantle which is acknowledgeably really hard to accept i think also there's like this when when it comes to understanding there's this aspect of relatability and it's hard for women of color to relate or white women to relate to women of color so it's hard for them to understand our struggles as well and I think there are times where people want to help women find their voice especially women of color and I think that's great you know it's super inspiring but I think the problem is that many women have already found their voice but there isn't room for them to Mm -hmm. use that voice so I guess my answer for that question is that um the best way to, I guess, um, <laughs> improve feminism, feminism that like as it is right now, would be to uh, make room for women's experiences and stories and opinions and um, have that stage for them to go to. Yeah, and I also think just because just America, how how it is. Used to, you always think um, we're like the only country for some reason. And so, because of that, the predominant race and gender in this country is white and male. And so, because this is talking about feminism, it's going to be white women. And so, anytime we want to stray from that, it gets less attention or just like not as much awareness for it. And so, I just feel like there's just a lot of layers to it. So just like in, I think like in Paris, um, Muslims can't wear like the the wrapper anymore. And in America, it's been very quiet, and even though there's people like that who are living here who also want that to be solved, but it has like no traction here mm-hmm. because we only prioritize white women for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with what's being said by you brilliant folks and thinking about, I think, Feminism in particular has been so commodified and commercialized and thrives in kind of like this like girl boss type energy where, you know, it's like, we got to go out and do this stuff. But I think that women of color often love out of conversations and concerns that are brought to the forefront are dismissed and and told, you know, we'll figure that out later. We're going to do this quick. Um, And I think that certain populations just cannot relate to this, the experience in the same way as I was saying, there's so many different privileges you get from your whiteness and from what this looks like. And to speak to Brie, it's like, it really shouldn't be this white man narrative because the United States is so diverse in terms of languages and cultures and people from different walks of life that it really shouldn't be this like standard we hold everybody to. But I think feminism 
the spaces that I see when we think of like the general term of feminism, I always ask who's in the room, who's not being able, who's in the room, but also who gets to speak and is valued in the room because it's not enough just to have a space at the table, but to be able to be heard as someone said before, to be listened to, to know we already have our voices, but who's taking it seriously and going to actually work with us to make things happen. Absolutely. There's always the question of, it's not enough to just have diverse perspectives. If it doesn't matter if you have a table of diverse people, if you're only listening to the white men and women at the table, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, so thank you all so much for your perspective and comments. They were amazing. And I feel like I have learned so much in this last half an hour. Um, so thank you so much for coming and joining my podcast today. Thank you for having us. It's been a treat. Thank you. And thank you all for listening today. This has been the Purple Couch Clubhouse from the Ohio University Women's Center. We have been reading Because You're a Girl by Ijoma A. This came from the book Colonize This, Young Women of Color on Today's Feminism, a collection of essays curated and edited by Daisy Hernandez and Bushra Remen. So if you have enjoyed our conversation, check out the rest of that book and head to ohio.edu slash diversity slash women's dash center for more amazing programming and events. Um, thank you all so much. And remember to keep growing with all of us here at the Purple Couch. <laughs>